Welcome to Frontier Pedagogy for the Martian Educator. This is episode three of season zero. Some of you may be wondering why this, the fourth episode, is counted as three instead of four. We don't use ordinals here. I start counting at zero. So should you. It is a running joke, and I'm not getting rid of it. Frontier Pedagogy for the Martian Educator is an education podcast that attempts to get to the bottom of current thinking in education to answer a very simple question. When we launch our colonies to Mars, what educational ideas will we take with us? Frontier Pedagogy for the Martian Educator is a podcast about the history of education here on Earth, where we will consider the present, past, and future of education leadership, policy, research, and practice. As the title suggests, special emphasis will be placed on the future of education, but this is not a science fiction podcast. Think of it less as speculation and more of a thought experiment. If you've ever asked yourself what book or record you would take to live out the rest of your life on a deserted island, you've done an experiment much like this. Optimistically, humans will begin to sell the solar system in the next 50 to 100 years. To settle, you have to have children. This podcast asks what and how you would teach those children. I'm Ryan Schoon, your resident Martian educator. I've been a professional, though earthbound, educator since 2004, having taught students from kindergarten to college and most points in between and not in that order. I want to be clear at the outset that I am not a doctor of education. I have a master's degree in English literature and am finishing up a second master's degree in educational leadership in the next few weeks, I hope. The views I express on this podcast are entirely from my own experience as an educator, parent, and student of education. They do not reflect the views of my employer or anyone else. It's just me, folks, talking about education on Mars. Back in episode zero, I established 12 principles that I believe should guide educators as our species crosses the divide between Earth and Mars. This will be the first episode elaborating on one of those principles, founding principle one. Every student is of inherent value, no matter where or who. I also want to pull back the curtain for a moment. The founding principles I'm setting forward aren't just principles that should guide colonization efforts in some vague future. I believe these founding principles are as true today as they will be a generation or a millennia from now. Recognizing the inherent value of students is not just an imperative on starships or within colonies on alien soil. They certainly will be for all reasons discussed on this episode, but every student is as vital today as they will be in the future. I have spent my teaching career in the highest poverty schools our country has to offer. An achievement gap between students of various subgroups plagues our schools. I've devoted my professional life to closing this divide in some small sense since I was a graduate teaching assistant some years ago and 
first saw the skills gulf between students matriculating from disadvantaged schools and their peers arriving from more affluent districts. We call this inequity of student skill sets a racial divide, an achievement gap, or an opportunity gap. I find opportunity gap to be the most distasteful description of the three. The word opportunity makes it sound like a child's future is an a la carte menu where you take what you want and leave the rest. Where you had the choice, so that absolves educators of responsibility if you, the student, happens to choose something other than academic success. Opportunity assumes that success is an individual choice and not a communal responsibility, the ratio Algiers version of social justice. We do not educate children to provide students with opportunity. We educate them because they are necessary. We must foster each child's unique talents and abilities because we cannot afford to squander them. We need those gifts and talents. We need that creativity. We need every shred of potential we as a species have. When we recognize that each child has a unique and necessary role waiting for them in the future, when we recognize them reaching their fullest potential saves us all. When it's not an opportunity you're afforded, but a duty you have and a duty you have to nurture within you, then it's no longer possible to neglect that responsibility. They are necessary. Thinking back on our colonization scenario, we can easily see why merely placing opportunities in front of students is not an option. Assuming a multi-generational settlement, accepting that some students will withhold their talents for whatever reason, that they will let opportunities pass them by, is ludicrous. With limited resources and a finite population, there had best be some system of motivation in place to ensure that students reach their fullest potential. Imagine this out of the mouth of a teacher directed at an educational leader. She, the student, just doesn't want to learn how to regulate her oxygen supply. When you face constant existential threat, no amount of shirking or excusing is possible. I maintain that we already live in that sort of world. When we say we're teaching future leaders, we are. Our world is facing unprecedented existential threats, from implosion due to systemic racism, to climate change, to mass automation. We're preparing the people who will face those challenges. Providing opportunity is very well planted in the American capitalist milieu that brought us to the spring. Our future leaders must be educated that they have a duty to reach their fullest potential and do what is right, rather than educate them that they have opportunities and can do what they will. This is not to sound tyrannical. I'm not talking about forcing people into professions they hate or restricting their autonomy. I'm talking about taking a lack of motivation off the menu of excuses we provide when students fail. Something motivates everyone. It's our duty to find that in every student. I want children to learn and grow where they are, exactly where they belong, like a cold hand into a warm mitten. I want to ensure each student feels the weight of their necessity.
I'm going to start off a new segment I'm calling Stemulation, a portmanteau of STEM and stimulation. Uh, the title's a work in progress. As much of my audience is fellow educators, I want to share an interesting link each week to something that might engage or excite students about STEM topics. These links can be found in the show notes. In order to ensure access to all students, these links will always be to free resources that I have found useful in my own instruction. This is not a paid endorsement. C- to kick the segment off, I'll be talking about an educational game from NASA. I currently teach an introductory robotics class mixed in with some block-based programming for my fifth graders. So Explore Mars, a Mars rover game, speaks to the work I do. Also, of course, given the subject of the podcast, you can imagine why a Mars-based rover game is of real interest. You can find the link in the show notes, but this is at spaceplace.nasa.gov. The developers describe the game as follows. Always wanted to cruise around on the surface of another planet? Well, you're in luck. In Explore Mars, you will be driving a rover on Mars and collecting information about Martian rocks. First, you will choose a rock to investigate. Then you'll send a sequence of commands telling the rover how to get to that rock. Don't forget to include the command to analyze the rock. This information will then be sent back to scientists on Earth. You will earn points every time you successfully analyze a new Martian rock. If you want a high score, plan carefully. Some rocks are worth many more points than others. So that is Explore Mars, a Mars rover game. No, it's not Fortnite, but if you're trying to teach simple programming concepts or developing kids' interests in Martian exploration, it has really great graphics and playabilities, especially as educational games go, and is worth a gander. Returning to our main thread, I want to talk a moment about bees, specifically honeybees. A honeybee is a good analog for a colony or any community, really. I turn to bees because I'm currently teaching third graders about them. I promise not to delve too deep into the analogy, as humans are, of course, a more complex species, and it would be borderline insulting in some way to overemphasize the similarities between complex human endeavors and the instinctual functioning of a hive, but there are parallelisms we can draw. The basic needs of a hive, as summarized by my third graders, are food, water, shelter from both predators and the elements, and reproduction. Meet those needs and and the colony can survive, neglect them, and the colony fails. We can, of course, become more complex, talking about such phenomena as colony collapse disorder or mite infestations, but the basics are still fairly straightforward and understood even by an eight-year-old. Food, water, shelter, reproduction. These would form the basic backbone of any colonization effort. 
colony must produce food under harsh Martian conditions. The colony must find, purify, and maintain potable water sources. The colony must safeguard itself against the intrusion of the inhospitable Martian environment, a place, at least at the surface level, that is unimaginably toxic to human life. Thankfully, predators do not seem to be on the table, but replace that with the growing concern of uh, scrubbing the air supply of carbon dioxide and you might prefer the wolves. Reproduction, while likely not a defining factor of early colonization's effort, is very, very likely to come up as humans permanently settle. This is, of course, where the analogy with bees breaks down. Bees are born with an innate sense of what jobs need doing and what jobs they'll be performing. Humans take a lot more time and energy finding their place in the world, perhaps as it should be. What stands to reason, though, is that the basic functions of the colony, those that ensure its survival, will be front and center on the list of the priorities. The humans are not built for Mars. It will take constant, non-yielding effort to make any go at a settlement work. So it'll be incumbent upon the educational system established within that colony to ensure the vital functions of that community are served by its population. Of course, you might say, why not just bring people from Earth to do the vital tasks that keep the colony alive? My only real argument against that is the fundamental force of economics. Moving people from the surface of the Earth to Mars is an incredibly expensive and time-consuming proposition. The more economically viable option, at least to me, would seem to be to use the resources that are already there to continue the population. You can only ferry back and forth so many crops before you begin to wonder, why can't we just grow this here? The same is true of people. Human resources are resources just as any other in that they eventually follow the laws of supply and demand. If it is less expensive to bring new people to Mars than it is to train them there, that means that true colonization will likely never occur. What would be the benefit? I do not see that ever becoming an issue, though. Launching from the surface of the Earth will always have an economic cost. Asking people to stay in a hostile environment without establishing families and children will always have a psychological cost. Certainly, housing children through the prolonged adolescence of the human species has costs of its own, mostly to my sanity, but as my grandfather used to say, three can eat for about the same as two. The small bit that it might cost to provide food, shelter, water, and oxygen, and education to a small tribe of native children would be negligible compared to the cost of going without them. But that would mean that they got off scot-free. Every child of the colony would be a valuable human resource. Every child of the colony would be an a vetted member of the community from which they sprang, an invaluable resource to be sure. That of course begs the question, why don't we behave more like that here on Earth? The principles guiding this episode of the podcast is that every student has inherent value, no matter where or who.
I'm reminded of the work of Sugata Mitra, where he placed computers in rural Indian and Cambodian villages. The children he documented in his study showed incredible outcomes in a place of where few resources are spared for education, especially for the education of young girls. If we as a global species followed this first principle of Martian colonization, we would never allow such a squandering of human resources. We'd be looking after every child that was born, no matter where or to whom. All children are of inherent value. Every child has a place in the future, and we should not be leaving it to the roll of the dice to determine what that place is. They are necessary. More to come on those ideas during future episodes. This has been Frontier Pedagogy for the Martian Educator and Education Podcast that attempts to get to the bottom of current thinking in education to answer a very simple question. When we launch our colonies to Mars, what educational ideas will we take with us? If you'd like to leave feedback on the podcast or the ideas expressed therein, you can share a voice message with me at anchor.fm backslash Ryan dash schoon three backslash message. Schoon is spelled just like school except with an N. That is S C H O O N. My name is Ryan Schoon, and with much love from my corner of the cosmos to yours, I bid you adieu.